Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. My name's Christy Anderson. If you'd like information about this or other teachings, go to foritiswritten.com. Again, that's foritiswritten.com. Today we are in part three of a six-part series on the message of Galatians from an ancient Hebraic perspective. In session three, we are going to now focus on this idea and the central theme and some of the specific texts in Galatians um, chapter two where Paul is really focused on what the core problem is. And we saw in session one that historic view of salvation that he was up against that was a bit distorted. And then we saw how the laws of separation in session two um, were further impacting his ability to communicate the real good news. Even among the apostles, there was uh, some confusion and ha- and some hard hard to make those changes as we saw with Peter. Uh, when you've been doing things forever for a long time one way, it's uh, and and someone comes along and there's a major doctrinal shift, it's difficult for people to make those changes. So we're going to see how that is playing out in the message of Galatians here. Now, if you've ever heard people use softening, what I call softening terms, such as using the term medical procedure instead of abortion, or alternative lifestyle instead of homosexuality. You see how that can, uh, those softening terms can make it more palatable or it changes the meaning slightly because someone is trying to uh, force a, a change in understanding In this case, for example, homosexuality, they want you to agree that it's right. So they don't want to say homosexual. They want to say alternative lifestyle. So in other words, we can also have biblical softening of terms when we're talking about English translations. When people are trying or the the translators are trying to force their own doctrinal assumptions. And so they'll pick a softer term because the other term, uh, while it was more clear, wouldn't support their position necessarily. And we're going to see that here in this case, where the choice of a synonym uh, is going to change the meaning and make it easier for us to actually understand the real meaning that Paul intended. A quick review, uh, we noted that salvation was thought to be by grace, but only for the physical seed of Abraham. Therefore, you had to become Jewish to receive God's grace. So grace was a matter of birthright at that time, or thought to be, rather than through the work of Messiah on the cross. And so this is really what Paul is dealing with. Now, as we turn to Galatians chapter 2, Paul is going to make three critical points. And these three points are going to reveal both the nature of the conflict involved, which is involving forced circumcision or not, and the real good news that he has been preaching since, uh, I believe it's been about 14 years by this time when he's meeting with the disciples, um, with key disciples. And that real good news is a salvation by grace through the faith and faithfulness of Messiah alone for both the Jew and the non-Jew. So if we turn to Galatians 2, 
verse 1 through 5. It says, Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation, and set before them, James, Peter, and John, that is, and we know it's it's the, that is the, the them that is being referred to because a couple of verses later in 2.9, he names them specifically. So he says, I put before them, James, Peter, and John, though privately before those, those again being James, Peter, and John, who seem to be influential, the good news of Messiah that I proclaim among the nations in order to be, make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, obviously a Greek believer in Messiah, who was with me, and he says here, was not forced, uh, and focusing on that word forced, and then by implication by James, Peter, and John that he's talking to, to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brethren or brothers, uh, secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Messiah Yeshua so that they might bring us into slavery to them, the troublemakers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the good news of Messiah might be preserved for you. So Paul's first point here then is that Titus, a Greek, was not forced by James, Peter, and John to be circumcised in order to be accepted within the faith. So here, the leadership in Jerusalem accepted Titus without being circumcised. He was allowed to come into this meeting, uh, presumably in uh, one of their homes or, or somewhere of that nature with these other Jews um, to be a part of that meeting without conversion as a proselyte. The evidence here that we want to look at is that Paul, after 14 years as a believer, presented his version of the good news. At first, he says privately to James, Peter, and John. And, the, and that was in 2.9 where he mentions who they are specifically, i.e. those who seem to be influential, James, Peter, and John, among the, the, the head of the, the disciples. Um, now we have Paul also going up to Jerusalem in the first place because of a revelation. And Paul took Barnabas, a Jew, and Titus, a Greek, with him to that meeting. We see a key term that forms the foundation of the and central argument around which Galatians is actually written. And that is in uh, 2 3, where, he's, where he says, Even Titus was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, some um, translations, as I said, soften the term forced, and they use the word compelled. Um, so he'll, they'll say, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. But if, if we look at the Strong's, if we look at the Launida lexicon, any of these key lexicons, forced is there, and it is clearly evident that this is a legitimate, uh, and, and in this case, a much more important and proper English term to communicate what the actual issue is. Um, he's not being compelled as in, oh, they're trying to just talk him into following it. No, the whole central message centers on accepting him as a believer without him having to be circumcised in order to be uh, accepted. And this is a central point that we need to really understand. And so the English term forced brings that term and that word home uh, in the context so that we understand what the actual issue is. 
And uh, it's quite clear when we use the term forced versus compelled in the English. Now, Paul's underlying point then is, and the issue Paul is dealing with is for circumcision for acceptance within the faith. If we combine this with the predominant faulty soteriology or doctrine of salvation, which says, uh, which Paul has then in this case successfully then articulated the real good news to key disciples and resisted the influence of those holding the faulty soteriology or doctrine of salvation. Uh, that grace by association or status. So Galatians 2.5 then further makes clear that Paul's not yielding preserves the purity of the good news for non-Jews in particular. And so that is his main point. Going on then to Galatians 2, 4b and 5, it says, so that they might bring us into slavery to them, the troublemakers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the good news of Messiah might be preserved for you. So the question is, what is the nature of the slavery that Paul is dealing with? Submission to what? Well, we know it's circumcision, but not just circumcision in general. Circumcision is a proselyte. However, what was good in theory, Gentile inclusion without proselytism or conversion was not as easy a quick change in practice. But, you know, unwinding old doctrine and tradition never is. So as we move on now to point two that Paul is making in this section of, of Galatians, in Galatians 2, 11 through 13, Peter, he says, is publicly, he has to public, public, I'm sorry, publicly rebuke him because he separated himself in 212 there from non-Jewish believers when men from James came to Antioch. So the specific nature of separation is centered around associating with Gentiles, specifically eating with them or going with, with them to their home, um, which implies, as we said in the previous lesson, an act of covenanting. Now, Traditionally, many people interpreted um, Peter's situation with the uh, vision as God somehow saying, um, you know, either Paul was going with them now and he ate unclean with them or so because it, God had showed him it's okay to go eat things uh, that God declared uh, we shouldn't eat in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. But there's no reference to the type of food shared, nor is the focus of uh, Acts 10 um, in any part of that passage on what is being eaten, or even here in, in the reference to um, Peter and eating with Gentiles and then not. In verse 12b specifically, it contrasts eating table or that table fellowship and implied covenant act with non-Jewish believers before the men from James came with Peter's drawing back and separating himself as was the custom in non-biblical Jewish practice of that day. So what was Peter really afraid of then? Well, he was being, being caught eating something unclean or was it being seen associating with non-Jews? Clearly, the issue is association why is this, though, important? Why or what does it imply? Well, if we look at Exodus 34, 12 through 16, it says, Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim, or their easters, 
For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat his sacrifice, and you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods, and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. Now, clearly, there was this idea that, you know, and, and, and you can see again, even though we've gone over this, I wanted to reiterate it, that there was this cause behind, there is a, it's a justified cause to not associate necessarily intimately and not for the potential of not covenanting or not eating a sac something sacrificed to an idol. Um, you see that in the Exodus passage. But really, if we look at it, the focus is on uh, not just being around a Gentile or not just discriminating based on ethnicity, but it's a discrimination based on the heart of the person who they're worshiping and the fact that they're not wanting to turn and worship the true God, but wanting to draw you in to worshiping false gods. So there's a big difference and there's discernment needed uh, by the individual, not just a blanket statement that all Jews are clean and all Jews and Gentiles are unclean, which clearly um, history has shown that, that that's not the case in, in reality. And um, as a matter of just regular historical fact. Um, but as we look on here, the Paul's rebuke then we see is really warranted because the separating that Peter's doing both distorts and divides God's people. And so the rebuke, though, is what we want to focus in on. And the rebuke is very interesting because it uses a unique and specific term only used once in all of the apostolic scriptures. So if we turn now to Galatians 2, starting in verse 14 through 16, Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct, okay, their conduct, as we've seen, is separating Jew and Gentile, was not in step with the truth, literally there it means with the word, of the good news of Messiah, I said to Peter before them all, If you, Yehudi or Judean, exist, or in other words, that term in the Greek, have your being, your vitality, in what we'd call in a symbolically eternal life, like or just as a non-Jew, and meaning just as a non-Jew exists or has eternal life or vitality, and not Jewishly, okay, the adverb form there, you do not, in other words, acquire your vitality or life from being Jewish or obeying to our commands, then how can you now force the non-Jews Judaize. Okay, remember this term Judaize. We're going to come back to it. Verse 15. We are rebellious Judeans, or Yehudi, by birth and not sinners from the nations. Yet even so, we know that a person or a non-Jewish sinner is not justified, i.e. not made right with God, by means of or from works of law, but instead through the or by means of the faith of Yeshua the Messiah. So we, Yehudi or Judeans, also, in regard to Messiah Yeshua, have believed, so that we might be justified, or made right with God, by or because of the faith of Messiah, and not by works of law. Because by works of law, no one, not a rebellious Judean nor a sinner from the nations, will be justified. So if we go back to 
um, verse 14b, we see this important and key term only used once in all the apostolic scriptures. And it's, it's translated as Judaize. And the word in the Strong's is G2450, and it's pronounced Judaizo. And what we see is that the theological dictionary of the New Testament admits and actually writes that this unique term means conversion to Judaism, especially by circumcision. And of course, this definition is really important and critical that we bring out. And it's, it's just such a shame that the translators completely manipulate the, this, the main core sentence here that this word is found and try to make it look like um, keeping certain commandments is making you Jewish. And, um, and they kind of twist it as to support a doctrine, a modern Christian doctrine today that says, well, you can ignore, for example, the fourth commandment and certain, um, certain commandments that God has uh, that are just traditionally no longer kept based on a long history that is detached from the actual meaning of the text or what these um, translations are actually saying. And so that's really unfortunate. However, this rarely used term is only found, as I said, in this text of Galatians in 2.14b. And we can also find our only cross-referencing verse in the Septuagint version. That's the Greek version of the Torah and the Tanakh. Um, and in, that is in Esther 8.17. And we can also find this word used historically by um, Josephus. So we have these other cross-references, and they both support the same meaning as given by that theological dictionary in the New Testament. And they also support the context here and what we're going to see Paul is truly arguing. So this false interpretation that says, well, Paul ate something unclean. I'm sorry, not Paul. Peter, when he went with the Gentiles, well, you know, the vision was to show him that he could just go be with Jews and, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Gentiles and, and just eat whatever he wants now. He can, pig is no longer unclean or, or whatnot and to support that kind of doctrine instead of what the actual context is talking about. And that context is talking about um, how eating something unclean and, well, what we would first, before we go that way, uh, what we need to understand is that Peter, how then, in other words, is eating something unclean, if that is truly the interpretation, um, and then Peter pulling away relate to Paul's point at all. And that's what we really have to ask the question. It, it just doesn't fit his explanation and use of Judaizo or Judaize. But Peter would, you know, because in that case, Peter would be hypocritical and such an action would have no bearing on Paul's point anyway. So as we look at this, we have to understand that Judaize means conversion, especially by circumcision. And modern, uh, the modernize, to modernize, I guess, Paul's language, if I were to just sort of put it in modern Christian speak and modern English, as we might say today, it's basically Paul saying, Peter, if you're saved the same way they are, by grace through the faith in Messiah, in your, your faith in Messiah, why are you forcing them to become Jews in order to associate with you supposedly righteous Jews? So Peter's hypocrisy of calling righteous Gentiles unclean then distorts the real good news. And so this is the whole point and focus that Paul is, is making here and showing and pulling out in the fact that he had to actually publicly rebu rebuke Peter in this case because Peter is the ringleader pulling even 
um, you know, Barnabas into this, into this thinking. So the real problem with Peter's actions of withdrawing from fellowship, actions that said that Gentiles are unacceptable to associate with, or they're unclean or not saved when God has declared certain of them that he's actually sending them to, uh, Peter to saved. Um, this is thus not acceptable to God. Then they would be because they are uncircumcised. That is the real problem. Just as the word Judaize means and implies rather than basing acceptability before God and among each other on a work of Messiah. Now, it looks like we're not going to have a whole lot of time to get uh, into this entire lesson, but I'm going to go ahead and we're going to go through here. We've, we've completed point two and we're going to try to get through point three because it's really important. The central theme here and message of Galatians is that a person, whether Jew or Gentile, is not justified by means of works of law, but instead through the faith of Yeshua the Messiah. So in other words, both the circumcised Jew and the uncircumcised Gentile are justified or made right with God by or through or because of the causality there is the faith of Messiah as opposed to works of law. So modern translations, though, change of to in, and that changes the reference or the referent, which changes and distorts Paul's message and point because it does not then provide the contrast we're looking for. So the question is, if I say through the faith of Yeshua, the Messiah, what is the referent? Whose faith am I referring to? Well, I'm referring to Messiah's, of course. But if I were to say through, the f through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, now whose faith am I referring to? What is the referent? Well, it's our faith, of course. So modern translators, though, such as the NASB, um, which I use a lot, the, the King James uh, actually, uh, or the ESV, the, they put faith in Christ Jesus. So nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Whereas in the King James from the 1600s, because uh, it was like 1995, oh, 1901, the ASV, and then it was trans updated in 1995 to the NASV, uh, that particular example is a modern translation, whereas we have the 1611 version of in the King James, and it says, uh, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, the referent there is completely different, and we can totally see that one is referring to our faith, and the other is referring to Messiah's faith and faithfulness. Now, Paul then is addressing the cause or catalyst of salvation by justification based not on our faith and faithfulness, but on his, Messiah's faith and faithfulness. So Messiah's works of faith justified us, not works of law. Therefore, in verse 16, when Paul says, even we Jews have believed in Messiah Yeshua, we see that a circumcised man is justified in the same manner as an uncircumcised man, and that is by the faith and faithfulness of Messiah, not by works of law, since by works of law, no flesh will be justified. Now, I wanted to get into more depth on this, but we are going to run out of time in this session. If you want to get the full teaching on that, go ahead and go to foridiswritten.com and follow the links uh, to find the 
the uh, video teachings on this series as well. Again, that's FordIsWritten.com. So to conclude our points then, we know that Paul's two, uh, three critical points in chapter two reveal a twofold central message. First is the nature of the conflict is regarding forced circumcision. Conversion as a proselyte is not necessary to receive God's grace. And we know that point two is that the nature of the real good news is that the is based in the faith and faithfulness of Yeshua, the Messiah alone, as the catalyst or cause of justification as opposed to works of law. So point one, no forced circumcision for acceptance within the faith. Gentiles are acceptable and clean based on the on Messiah's work, not on a work of law or circumcision in their flesh. Jewish believers should not separate from believing non-Jews. That's point two, particularly based on circumcision of the flesh. And finally, both Jews and Gentiles are justified based on the faith and faithfulness of Yeshua Messiah alone and not on works of law or circumcision of the flesh. Thanks. We'll see you next time.